How's it going? Good, how are you? Could be better. Could be better. It's been a rough week. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm doing a health sprint this week. So I've got like a ton of doctor's appointments going on and um, just getting my blood work done and everything like that to to stay in fighting shape. So yeah, that's, that's always a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Um. You want to show us your painting that you made last time? <laughs> oh god, <laughs> I want to see. Quite embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cute. Um, I like it. Yeah, like, can you see it? Oh, okay. Oh, I think that's super cute. Oh, thanks. But um, <laughs> blending or you know, like, didn't work very well. <laughs> but. I like worse. it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> was that the piece of um, everyone else was drawing too? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How um, did uh, your mother-in-law and Moni's turn out? I think my mother-in-law's actually came out the best. Oh. Um, but Moni ended up turning it into like <laughs> some weird like smiley face with like a <laughs> kind of ninja turtle thing going. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. But it was, it was a good time. It's um, fun, right? Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. But yeah, um, hopefully next time I'll do a little better. And I, I just tried to take your advice initially with like light, uh, lightening the color so I could actually hang it in here. But uh, it didn't go very well. They didn't it's, really give you like enough room and paint to to really make it happen. Didn't Did they pour your paint for you in the beginning or did you? This is like a paper plate with like a oh, little bit yeah, oh. of colors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That does make it hard because there's not a lot of room at all mm -hmm. to mix then in that situation. No. Yeah. Hmm. You know, they need to do that kind of class in watercolor. I think that's much more forgiving, mm -hmm. you know, and watercolor is really fun. Like who doesn't like that? That's a fun time for sure. Yeah. But maybe because you need to use like a pretty flat surface, you take up more surface space than like easels. We, we did have an easel actually. No, but like with oh, um, watercolor, you need to like have it more flat. Oh, so water. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would have been harder because the tables are really narrow. Um, mm. Yeah. So there was definitely not enough room to put it flat. That was the other thing I didn't like too with that class that I did out here was that the class was pretty packed, and I felt like. And did your person have like a microphone? No. Ours did, and that kind of drove me nuts because I'm like, <laughs> obviously, we're here to sure we're here to paint and learn and all that stuff, but we're also here to socialize and have drinks and like catch up. Yeah. And so it was kind of annoying because our our instructor had a microphone and it was really loud the whole time, and like, I don't, I I think she didn't realize that we're not really here to learn how to paint. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, my instructor, I think definitely. Knew everyone Got was it. there really uh, not to pain. Yeah, they had music going. <laughs> Actually, I had like good music, but it was not too loud. Um, but there was like some people singing and like, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Like some people were like on a date. Um, oh, some people cute. were really wild. Um, but the crowd was interesting. <laughs> no, that's good. I I think I that's like kind of my dream scenario is when when the music's not too loud, but there's yeah. some music. <laughs> I'm in that transition age. I'm not yeah. a girl, but I'm not quite yet a woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty fun. You're starting your 
pottery class tomorrow? Yes, first pottery class is tomorrow, and I'm very excited. I I've been trying to. I'm like, ooh, what am I gonna make? You know, like I don't want to be super um, like basic and just make like a a vase like that. I my style of vase is pretty basic. Okay, I like vases that are just like more simple. Um, And I'm like, well, then what would I make if I don't make a vase? I can make a plate, and I'm like, oh, that would be fun. But I, I thought about it a little bit more and I'm like going to probably try to make like a um, a heavier like ceramic base <clears throat> for my like knitting thing. I have a knitting spindle that I put my yarn on and then um, as I'm like working the yarn, it spins around so that the yarn doesn't like fly all over the place mm-hmm. and it's not too messy. Um, I have wood ones right now, which are fine, but they're not as heavy as I'd like them to be. So I kind of need to like anchor it down on something. Otherwise I can kind of pull on the whole thing and pull it over. But I'm thinking maybe if I make one in ceramic, I could make it a little heavier. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see how that turns out, but um, that's what I'd like to make. (laughs) Do you know like something else too, but I forgot what it was. (laughs) They do know what like the format of the class is like does everyone do their own thing or are you not really sure it should be everyone can do their own Uh thing it's with an instructor who is um very well trained I guess in in ceramics and also teaching people she's got like over 10 years I think of teaching people who are and this is the beginners class um and this is also the wheel class I wanted the hand building class but that was on a night that I couldn't make work um so this will be the one with the wheel and everything and I'm guessing that tomorrow we're going to start out with like learning how to, um, um, oh God, I watched the, like the great pottery challenge or whatever it was on HBO. I can't remember the word, the terms now, but like basically like, um, wedging the clay, I'm probably going to learn how to wedge tomorrow and like how to throw and center. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. (laughs) We'll see how that goes, (laughs) but it's six weeks of, um, pottery fun and I have like a 25 pounds of clay to work with so nice <laughs> it'll be fun yeah yeah <laughs> um I'll be very happy if none of my pieces burst in the oven so that'll be good mm-hmm. yeah um yeah so anyways it's been kind of a crazy week just like weeks and weeks of like um built up like stuff going on so so for all my moms out there like you know how it kind of like ebbs and flows where it's like you have periods where you just have everything colliding all at once um you can call it retrograde if you want to but like you know your your house stuff kind of like collides with your work busy times and and all of like your communications is happening at the same time so there's like a lot being demanded of you and that will carry on for a little while. And then things like slowly get knocked off the list of things to do. So then it's like, so it ebbs and flows. And right now I'm like cresting at one of those wave weeks where it's like, everybody needs something from me right now. And and then I just feel like, can nobody do anything? <laughs> Is no one capable of doing anything on their own anymore? Take a guess, just give it your best shot everybody and see what happens. Um, it's kind of like how, like for photographers, how your clients think that Photoshop is a magic wand. 
sometimes I feel like that's what people think of me when they come and ask me for things. I'm like, do your best because that's all I'm doing. I'm just yeah. doing my best. I don't know all the answers. I don't have the secrets. I don't like know everything. So you give it a shot, you know? Yep. Yeah. Well, hopefully um, it's on the way down to the more. Um, oh, I'm giving peaceful. up. <laughs> Full disclosure. I'm like tapped out. I'm on week five of this and I'm very tapped out. Like tomorrow I'm getting through my meetings. I'm meeting with a student, uh, a former student of mine. He's back in town. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then I'm going to pottery class. And then the next day I don't have clinic this Friday. Thank goodness. Cause I can really use a break. So I've got like a couple of like big business meetings in the morning. And then I have my unit meeting on Friday morning, which will be a brunch this week because we all need a break. And I'm like, that's it. Team brunch. Yeah. Everybody, we need to shake off the bad juju. I'm going to pull out the metal bowl. We need to do our firing ritual. <laughs> um, and then we have the end of the year party for our students. And then after that, I'm out. I'm like, I'm taking the rest of the day off on Friday. Yeah. So no, that's good. No one contact me for work things. And if you have a work thing, take a stab at it. Try it first, Google it first, and then come talk to me. Nice. Yeah, I know. I know this is my job. This is what I get paid to do. Yes. I'm not complaining about that, but I am complaining about like, um, complacency, I think from everyone else. Give it a try first, give it a shot, you know? Um, so Today, I wanted to talk about something that we went on live uh, about earlier this week. Um, I'm not going to like name names or anything like that. I need to maintain good working relationships here. But I think that there's a lot of like misconceptions and misunderstandings about um, entities. Like what are entities? How do they work? Um, when do I need one? You know, like let's just start. What is an entity, right? Um we're talking about business entities right now. And a business entity is kind of the same as the basic meaning of entity. It means that it's another body. And when you, you know, the, the basic definition of being in business or a sole proprietor is when you do something with the intention of making money from it. Um, right there, you have a business. You are automatically a sole proprietor. That's something by default. If you and a friend, so if Deanna and I, set out to do something together with a joint purpose of making money, we have now formed a general partnership, de facto. We have a business together and we are a general partnership because there's more than one person. Now, these are not separate entities. These are business entities in a very loose way, but they're not separate entities from ourselves. We are still, I am Desiree the same way that I'm also the sole proprietor of my business. And Deanna and I are both two people, but we're also like two people trying to do a business together. It's like an association. Those are not formal business entities. When you have a formal business entity, you need it recognized by the state. And the most common entities that apply to most people are going to be corporations and LLCs. I say most because there are other designations for other professionals and other types of businesses that require a different type of entity. But essentially the idea is that you have a separate entity, you're creating another body from yourself that separates you, your person from your business, 
in order to shield you, your person, from your business liabilities or vice versa. Vice versa, you're creating a fence between yourself and your business. That's the basics of it. Okay. So, um, Deanna, do you know, like one of the things that I hear a lot from people when I ask them, what type of business do you have? Do you know what kind of entity you have? They always say, I'm not totally sure my accountant did it for me. I just know that I'm an S corp. What do you, what, what do you know about that? So that means that, um, you're, well, that's like a tax, um, a tax status. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not actually an entity. It's not. And it's confusing because when your accountant talks to you about it, they say that you're an S corp mm-hmm. or a C corp. Um, and that's a tax designation. Mm-hmm. You can be an S corp or a C corp designation within your business entity if you're a corporation or an LLC. Now, you might be thinking this is probably, I think this is probably where that like myth stems from when people say I'm not doing enough business or I'm not big enough to be an entity yet. Um, That's not true. There is no threshold minimum um, in revenues that you need to have in order to be a business entity. Like you can be an LLC when you're just starting out immediately. And in some cases we recommend that, like specifically cases where you own property, you should definitely go ahead and start your LLC formation paperwork from the get. Um, what I was saying was, uh, okay, so the S Corp and the C Corp tax designation, those do have thresholds that make sense where it's more beneficial to have a certain amount of um, income before you choose a designation. Um, yeah, LLCs, not the same thing. With an yeah. LLC, you can choose to have pass-through taxation um, which is where your income, you're, you're going to be taxed basically the same as if you were a sole proprietor. It's going to pass through your business and go through your personal income taxes. Um, we should probably go ahead and plug in our caveat right now, which is our disclaimer. We are not tax accountants. Nothing on this episode should be considered tax advice. You should always talk to a tax professional when you're considering um, anything for your business in, in relation to taxes. And that goes for all of our episodes, but we're talking about taxes today. And so you should know that we're not tax experts and your situation may vary. So you should talk to a professional about your specific situation. Um, okay. So what I'm saying is that you could still have the benefits of being a sole proprietor for tax purposes, meaning that you're not going to be taxed two times, right? If you are a pass-through entity. Um, Most people are afraid of the double taxation because when you are um, an S-corp or C-corp, depending on which one you pick, either one, frankly, your business is going to be taxed as an entity in itself. And then you are going to be taxed as an individual. So that's taxed twice. Um, and that's a lot more simplified than it actually is, but that's generally the principle. Okay. Um, Deanna, what if you have um, a partner, like let's say you live in California, which is a community property state, and you are starting out your business and you and your partner rent your home. <clears throat> your partner works for a tech company and he makes a very solid living. Um, they provide your... Um, insurance, your health insurance and everything. And you are going to make the leap, quit your day job and begin a, um, a business that is a, you're going to become a gym, a gym studio owner. Mm -hmm. 
what do you think about that situation? Should this person consider starting as a sole proprietor or general partnership if they have a partner, or should they go ahead and form an entity right away? I'm saying the situation, they should definitely go ahead and form an entity right away. Um, just because you're, you're putting your, um, partners and, you know, really both of your assets at risk, um, yeah. you know, opening a gym, there's a lot of possibility for people to get hurt, to sue you. Um, it's, it's really high risk. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, really want your personal assets to be at play here. That's, that's exactly the consideration that I have too. Like we said that if you have, if you own property in California, automatic, yeah. go to jail, <laughs> you own property in California, straight to LLC town. Mm-hmm. But in the situation where they're like renting their home, but their partner has a steady income and you are married, you have community property. That means that everything that you guys earn during the life of the marriage is up for grabs of the other person. So if you own this business and it is not an entity. It's just your sole proprietor, right? Number one, any potential liability that you have um, from claims from your customers against your business, like maybe someone gets injured because they, you know, dropped a barbell on their foot or whatever reason, or like maybe there was a slip and fall, they could go after your assets. Now you're thinking, great, I don't have any assets because I don't Mm -hmm. own a home. The problem is when you get a judgment against a business, they can seize all of your assets that are available to you, including what's in your joint bank account. Yeah. So if your partner has money, you guys vest socks or whatever you want to do, that would be up for grabs. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck buying a house after that. Yeah. Yeah. That would really suck. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Vice versa though. Let's say that you and your partner, let's say that you and your partner um, get sued. Uh, Maybe there was a slip and fall at, your or no 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 let's say you got into a car accident okay like because you don't have property so it's not your business you know not your problem if somebody slips and falls at your house that would be your landlord's problem like let's say you get into a car accident with somebody it's your fault you have a judgment against you because you guys um, caused an injury and you guys can't afford to pay it but your gym business is taken off it's to the moon right that person who has a judgment against you you're for your personal debt could Mm -hmm. then go after the assets of your business and get paid yeah. Okay. So it's, it's a two-way street. There's no fence between you and your business. Um, I, you know, I'm going to try to keep the, the details vague here because we have an actual client at work who's facing something um, similar where they, uh, his family owned a brick and mortar business and um, the, the business was in the name of the client that we were working with. And at some point, one of the family members forged his name to sell the business and he wasn't able to stop the sale. That's a long story in and of itself. But at the end of the day, what ended up happening was that there was a judgment held against him for the amount of the, the loss or something. Um, but what turned what started as like $111,000 against this person in 1997 ballooned up to over a million dollars after interest because you were allowed to renew judgments um, in California every 10 years for life Mm -hmm. until yours truly passed a bill last year that said you're no longer allowed to do that. You can only renew a judgment one time and it'll last for five years the second time that you renew it. So this person has a home, they own a home and that home has a lien on it worth a million dollars. Um, Thankfully, again, yours truly, um, 
they can only renew that lien one more time. And if he does not sell it in the next, you know, after the five years have expired, then that whole thing will be dissolved. Um, and I will also add that thanks to my colleagues at EBCLC, we also passed a bill that prohibits anyone from foreclosing on your property, your primary residence for unsecured debt, meaning credit card debt or things that are not originally secured by the home. So good news. We're trying to keep people housed and it's so far working. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's really important to have that understanding of like what, what we're taking into account when we're counseling people about like, um, should you become an entity or not? It's definitely also about the risk of the business. That's why I said in the situation, this is a gym owner, um, which is a high risk business, right? How would you feel, Deanna, if the person was a coordinator, like a wedding coordinator? And we're still renting the apartment? Mm -hmm. Everything's the same, except it's a wedding coordinator now instead of a gym business. Um, definitely less risk than a gym, for sure. But yeah. still risky, right? But still risky, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <No>. exactly. <laughs> that was kind of a curveball. Because yeah. yeah, less less physical risk than a gym, right? You don't have people in like physical uh, harm's way, you know? Mm -hmm. But with a coordinator, you kind of still have some risk because you have an intangible service that you're providing. And you could just get that one bridezilla who mm -hmm. decides that they're not getting the services that they want. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and definitely. I don't want to scare the coordinators out there. <laughs> Everybody should know this. Like, um, anyone can sue you for anything at any given time. So please do not feel afraid uh, to be a coordinator and, and afraid that you have a higher risk of getting sued. It, it just takes one crazy to do it. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not you. Yeah. <laughs> and doesn't mean they're going to win either. But yeah, that yeah. doesn't, it's a totally different story. Like the yeah. merits of the case is a completely different story, but anyone has the right to sue anyone for anything. Like it's, you just go up and file paperwork and pay a fine. That's it. A fee yeah. to like file. Boom. You've got a lawsuit. Yeah. Um, so the law, don't be afraid of the lawsuit in and of itself. Um, okay. So let's say you have two businesses. Let's say that I am um, doing different things. So I have a successful gym on one side um, because I'm totally into CrossFit and I'm <laughs> this is totally a joke because I'm not in gyms and CrossFit at all. Um, let's say I've got my successful gym on one side and I've got my, my passion project, which is um, pet portrait photography. I'm still renting and um, I haven't found the one yet. So I'm single. Okay. And they're both um, no entity, just a sole proprietor. So I mean, right now I'm a sole proprietor. What do you think okay. I should do? I think you should form two separate LLCs so that if somebody- but is there, am I going to be, would I have to pay more money to have two separate LLCs? What if I, if I just had to pick one, if I just had to pay for one, which one should I do? Um, definitely the, uh, the gym stuff. The gym? Yeah. You definitely want to put that LLC. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would probably do that one too. Um, but what else could I do? What are my other options? Um, 
Sorry, the Socratic method actually, like, I loathed it in law school. I really hated it, but it totally worked for me. It totally worked for me. Um, So if this person has two businesses, right, and they're two completely unrelated businesses, but they only want to pay for one LLC, my thinking in that situation is, okay, then what is the end goal? Because it's not just about, like, throwing entities around. It's, like, what is most strategic um, for forming? And so I, yeah, like you could do a DBA. Right. And so, you know, I'd, I'd have to, my thinking starts out as, okay, the gym business, the brick and mortar, having a brick and mortar is already in strike one Mm -hmm. for me. Like if I have a place that I'm responsible for, where people can make ingress and egress, um, there's a potential of like property injury and property damage, right? So that's strike one. Um, And then the nature of the business itself. So um, injury, physical injury or physical harm or overexerting yourself. So that's, that's enough for me to say that one needs to be um, its own contained in its own little fence. Mm -hmm. And then I have to ask myself, okay, so if I want that contained in its own fence away from my client, away from the person, what do I want to do about the pet photography business? Is that high risk enough that my client has a lot of exposure to liabilities? No. And I think in this situation, I would have to ask some questions. Number one, where are you doing it? Are you doing it at your studio or are you doing it on location? Oh, I'm doing it on location. I meet my clients at the park or the beach or wherever they want to do it. Okay, good. So no physical location. Also, what I'm considering is that no unusual location for the animal to get uncomfortable with and unpredictable with. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. Cause I have to think about what is the nature of the subject. It's mm-hmm. an animal. So, um, okay. So no location that I need to worry about with an animal becoming upset. Um, how frequently are you doing it? Oh, it's, it's actually, it's a passion project, but I do it all the time because my gym is self-running and it's pretty stable. Okay. So you're kind of doing it a lot. There's a lot of, the more times you do the job, the more potential exposure there is. Right. So that's going to go up in my head. Um, so I have to think now I have to ask financially, well, which one makes more money? Are they about the same or is one making more money than the other? If the person in this situation said that the businesses are about the same. I don't know. That's a toss up for me. They can decide to do both of them together or just the gym by itself. I would say you can choose which one mm-hmm. you want to do and then let them decide what are the benefits of doing that. The benefits of having both entities under one LLC and having different DBAs, which we'll talk about later, um, would be that all of the business liabilities and assets are going to be separate from the person themselves. So that could definitely be worth it to this person. The downside though, is that you have two businesses in the same fence yard. So if one business has a liability against it, creditors or um, a judgment creditor could collect against the other business. If the other business has enough money to satisfy whatever they need. Yeah. Okay. And I'm just talking in really broad strokes here. There's a lot more finer details and it's harder to enforce a judgment than it sounds right now. Um, But speaking purely in a vacuum, 
Okay. Um, so yeah, I would let the client decide on that one. If she said that the um, pet photography business is making way more money, I'd want to keep them separate. If one of the businesses is making more money, I'd want to keep them separate. Um, yeah. So Deanna, let's talk about, I mentioned having two businesses in the same fenced yard. How does that work? How can they do that? How do you get two for the price of one? And is it two for the price of one? Um, so you would um, form an LLC and then you would have two DBAs. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. you could have two DBAs or you can have one one uh, be the LLC. LLC, one be the DBA. Right? Yeah. 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 So if you're watching this on Spotify, we're making some crazy hand gestures. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought <laughs> I was going to say with the whole pet thing, I didn't realize you meant like I thought it was like a photo of the pet and you're painting it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I didn't think about all the like, yeah, you're like with a live animal. <laughs> yeah. Pet photography. <laughs> you're with the animal. You got painting on the brain, Deanna. Yeah. <laughs> Just like you have a photo of the, <laughs> the cat. And... Yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's no risk at all. <laughs> like they don't like the picture. <laughs> they don't like the <laughs> Oh God, have you been shopping on Etsy for a pet portrait? <laughs> no, but uh, I have thought about it for my kids. Oh, I've definitely eye. thought about uh, it. I want, I need to get one done of George Michael. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, back to. <laughs> yeah, so back to our crazy hand gestures. So you have two options if you wanted to, like, let's say you have two businesses, two yeah. different businesses, and they could be similar if you wanted to, like maybe if you had like a photo business and a video business. Um, but you could have one umbrella LLC at the top and that's the name like you can just say like I don't I want them to be completely different branded and all of that stuff and I different landing pages different fields yeah. and everything like that you can totally do that right um if you for people who want to continue to expand their business um you can have one top business like for example Alphabet is the is the parent company of Google mm -hmm. so Alphabet sits at the top and Google is a subsidiary of Alphabet now, maybe this is a bad example because they are separate companies. They're all separate companies that are owned by one company. So let me use another example. You got your LLC. I'm going to call it Jane Doe LLC. Okay. She's just going to use her name and say, yeah. that's it. This is the name of my business. And then I have um, a video business, which is going to be amazing, awesome videos. Okay. That's the name of the company that I'm doing business under, but it's going to be housed under my one LLC. I would have to create a, D, a DBA, which is a doing business as for my LLC, because my LLC is doing business as totally awesome video. And I need to publish that DBA notice in the county where I'm doing it. Um, that You could do just that step right there. But let's say you had another business and said, Jane's Awesome Cakes. That's another business that you do because she loves making cakes. So Jane's Awesome Cakes would be another DBA of Jane Doe LLC. Make sense? Alternatively, you could have one LLC to start and say um, Awesome Videos LLC. And then you can have an, a DBA of Awesome Videos LLC and turn it into Jane's Awesome Cakes. 
And that would, I mean, if you're, if you're trying to do math and like simplify your filings, you would only have to file one DBA in that situation because your LLC, whatever the name is, does not need a DBA. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you're using a name right with your name, like Jane Doe's photography, technically you don't need a DBA, right? If you are using, if you're a sole proprietor, you're talking about. So if you're a sole proprietor and the name of your business is your name, you don't need um, an FBN or a DBA. So if you're a sole proprietor, it would be an FBN, fictitious business name. If you are a corporation, it would be a DBA, doing business as. Um, You still would need, because it's not you, Jane Doe, anymore. Like, let's say it's Awesome Video LLC. Mm -hmm at the top and you want that to be part of, you know, your, your cake business, Jane's awesome cakes to be part of your LLC. It's not me, Jane Doe doing this anymore. It's awesome. It's awesome video LLC. Their subsidiary, the thing that's coming off of them is going to be Jane's awesome cakes. So you do need a DB situation. Yeah. Yeah. But um, if you are a sole proprietor and your business name is, you know, uh, Jane Doe photography, then you don't need um, a fictitious business name and you don't need to file that in your local newspaper. But let's say you're a sole proprietor, you haven't filed any paperwork with the state, you're just doing business and you're going to go by, I don't know, um, cloud nine weddings, video weddings, right? You're going to need to file a fictitious business name to inform the public that you... um, Sally Smith, the person that you meet on the internet and and hire to do business with, you go by the business name of Cloud Nine Weddings. Does that make sense? And is that for the the state, the county? It would be in the county in which you are registered to do business. Okay, so you potentially have to register in multiple counties. Multiple counties. I mean, you should be registering... That's that's the tricky thing. Like, there's no clear answer on this, and I mm-hmm. I think that the silence is the um, answer, and that really sucks because so much business is done online. Um, I get asked this, and I don't have a clear answer. And and I think the technical answer is you need to file in every county in which you're doing business, and that sucks because every county has different rules. Yeah, <laughs> different rules about like what counts. They have different fees. Mm-hmm. It, it's um, really, really burdensome. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that is like structure stuff. Let's talk about cost. What are the costs of being an LLC in California? Um, Deanna, do you remember what the filing fee is for filing your articles of organization with the state? I want to say it's been temporarily waived. I think there was I think the waiver is over though. Okay. And was it around um it's under a hundred dollars i think it's like 71 or 81 oh, okay yeah it it's it ends at a weird number <laughs> the thing about state fees they always end in like an odd weird number um but i believe it was i thought it was 81 it's under a hundred dollars i know that yeah i know it's pretty it's very affordable yeah and that's just to file your articles of organization so the reason i'm pointing this out and this is all available on the secretary of state website The reason I'm pointing this out is because the filings are not expensive to do. They're not hard to do either. You can totally do them on your own. 
the issue comes down to the operating agreement because that's the thing that's going to prove that you actually have a real company and not just that you haven't just filed the articles of organization with the state and you basically have a shell company. Um, none of this matters if your business is just a shell. None of this matters. None of the protections that we're talking about will matter at all if you have a shell company. And so you want to make sure that your entity is in good standing with the state every year. And there are a few things that you have to do. So in talking about fees right now, you have that initial filing fee for the articles of organization. And then within three months of filing that articles of organization, you have to file your first statement of information. Um, the statement of information is only 20 bucks, right? Is it 20 or 20? No, it's 20. It's, it's very cheap. Um, they want to encourage you to do that because it's about um, making sure that the state can reach you. You want to mm -hmm. make sure that the state can reach you. Um, so the statement of information is a public document. It gets published on the Secretary of State website and you need to fill it out with all of the information about, you know, that's on there. It's pretty simple. It's only a one page form that asks for like identities, like who are the owners of this business and owners are called members when it's for an LLC. And so you want to identify all of the members, um, and then their business or residence addresses, as well as who you are designating as your registered agent for service of process. Um, it's pretty straightforward, um, but here are where the things get a little bit gray. The statement of information is a PDF that gets filed with the state. Um, anyone can see it if they look up your business and they find your business. Uh, there's like a link that you can just click and then it opens up the statement of information so that people can find out where they need to serve papers if they need to sue you. Um, they need to know how to contact you if they need to serve you legally. Um, every The statement of information gets filed every two years if nothing has changed, but you're supposed to file a new statement of information as soon as something changes. Like for example, if you add a member or a member is removed, or if you move locations, um, you're supposed to file that immediately, but at the very least every two years. Deanna, am I, am I missing anything? I thought you were going to say something. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so, you know, those two forms are the things that you would file with the state. Those are the things that make you officially an LLC on paper. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's not hard to pierce the corporate veil because if you're just filing those things, but you're not actually maintaining your business like a, a proper LLC, you can have um, what's called piercing the corporate veil happen to you and then all of your protections are lost. So let's talk about some of the things that you need to do in order to continue to keep it alive. Um, one of them being filing your taxes. So as a separate entity, your business has to pay a mandatory minimum um, tax, um, the franchise tax board fee, which is $800 right now in California. Um, that's due every year and it's it's a pay ahead tax. So you pay for the year that's coming ahead. Um, it varies, it, right? The date, depending on when you... The, um, yeah, the first date will vary. The first date that you do it will vary based after, on... Yeah when you filed, but thereafter, it's always going to be due on the same date, which is, I believe, March 15th. It's before taxes, people. It's March. Um, every time I think I forgot to do it, I go to do it. I'm like, oh, I did it right. 
Um, yeah. And it gets, yeah. The, as I say, the other um, things you need to do, right, are like based on your operating agreement and um, having like a meeting, keeping notes. Annual meeting, but also a bank account, like a separate bank account. Um, so in order to open a bank account for your LLC, you're going to need to provide your articles of organization, your tax ID number, and that could either be your social security number, or you can get a TIN, your tax identification number. Um, or no, it's your employee identification number, EIN. Um, and you'll need to provide your operating agreement. Your operating agreement is the key. It is a contract between you yourself, the member of the organization, and the organization as a separate body. So you have a contract with this fictitious person that's your business standing in front of you. Um, it's really important that that contract is uh, adhered to, um, meaning that if you say that you're going to pay members on a monthly basis, you better be paying them only on a monthly basis. Um, if you say that you're going to be checking ahead for expenses on this date, you better be doing it on this date. Um, you are not required to have an annual meeting as an LLC, but I always recommend doing that. Um, it's a really good use of your time too. Mm -hmm. I do think that the annual meeting is a must do. It forces you to plan out your year and examine your year past so you can have a better informed decision about what you're going to do for the year going forward. Um, but if you don't have an operating agreement, um, and you get sued for anything, there's a high risk that you're going to get your corporate veil pierced if the other side knows that you own a business that they can um, go after. If you do have an operating agreement, but you're not adhering to the dates and you're not adhering to how you're paying yourself, and that can be found out through discovery and and through a, um, a debtor's exam, um, you're going to have some problems. It's going to be a lot of motion writing. It's going to go through a lot of uh, legal proceedings, but you're not out of the woods. Um, the good news though, the good news is that your operating agreement can reflect what you are already doing in your business. So for many of the clients that I worked with, um, informing their LLCs, they were already paying themselves the way that we identified in the contract. Um, we are formalizing basically just like all of the contracts that we do, you're just putting into words what you're already planning to do. And I think, um, I don't know if this has come up before, have you seen like people, have they ever come up to you where they just like have like a template operating agreement they found off the internet that doesn't make any sense or they don't understand? All the time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the damn time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you can search for operating agreement online and find something, you know, mm -hmm. but the key is just like any contract, you got to understand what it says so that you can actually follow it. Also, not every, because this is like supposed to be unique to your business and your business practice, like a lot of templates don't have the things that you would need as um, a service provider, you know, mm -hmm. um, like we always include a, a gear audit list you know, um, that looks at the value of the property that's owned by your business for tax purposes or for uh, insurance purposes. Um, we also require members to convene like as part of their meeting every year to evaluate the value of the business in case of like buyout, in case you want to like enforce a buyout or something. Mm -hmm. 
or if like someone were to pass away, what is their share worth so that you can figure out how to distribute everything. Oh, and having like their spouse, right? Like sign. Yes. Spousal consent um, waiver. Now that's a question that I used to get a lot. It's like, if I have, if I have an LLC, does that protect me in the event of a divorce from like my partner taking over or whatever? The answer is no. The answer is no, because in California, we're a community property state. And in order to, like, the question about who owns interest in the LLC is going to be preempted by, like, the the marriage laws, the community property laws. So if you formed your business during the life of your marriage in California, that's going to fall under community property. And it's 50-50. So unless you had a prenup agreement that said, you know, this is how we're dividing things, your partner would be entitled to 50% of your stake of the LLC. Now, keep in mind that that would be an economic interest, meaning that they'd be entitled to 50% of the the economic, the money, the money part of it, not the decision-making part of it. But, you know, the next part of this is your fiduciary duty, right? Um, You, as the owner of your business, which is a separate person standing next to you, um, I think I'm frozen. Um, You have a fiduciary duty to your business to make good decisions for it, which means um, there are are different kinds of fiduciary duties, but the one that I'm referring to right now is making sure that you are doing everything in the best interest of your business to make it succeed. So let's say that you have a, a, a good floral design business and your partner is an excellent um, social media manager and marketer, and they could probably make some really good decisions and, and help your business move forward more with their expertise. Um, you kind of owe it to your business to consider bringing that person on as a decision-making entity instead of just an economic beneficiary if they're taking money from the business. Okay, but if, if your partner doesn't have anything to offer like that, then you don't have, an op- you're not hurting your business by not considering bringing them on as um, a decision-maker. Um, what else did I want to mention? Oh yeah. So the, so going back to the spousal consent piece of this, um, oh wait, no, we talked about that spacing. There is one other thing that I wanted to bring up about this. It'd be like about the partner being in business with, Oh, like if you die or if Yes. Okay. So going back to um, the idea of having your spouse come in, when you have an LLC, this is why like, I always talk to my people and say, like, make sure you consider all angles because of that community property issue. Um, you are basically marrying each other through this business. You and your partner are now together, one and all. Um, and not just you and your partner, but you and your partner and their partner. <laughs> so if they do get a divorce for example and let's say you're the other partner and your friend who's the amazing floral designer um her husband is the graphic designer marketer who would probably be excellent for the business but you hate him you can't stand him hmm that's going to be tough because you have a fiduciary duty to your business to make sure that you're getting the best deal the best you know um fair dealing that you can um so just keep that in mind 
Um, and then what, what did you bring up, Tiana? Oh, if, uh, if like one partner passes away, I think that's um, kind of what you're just talking about. The same thing, oh. right? Being in business now with their spouse. Yeah, that yeah. would happen too. Um, there is like a section that you want to make sure that's in your contract about like um, termination of the, like dissolving the the entity. Um, death is sometimes a trigger mm-hmm. that people want to put in there, which is like if upon the death of one of the members, the uh, surviving members shall dissolve the corporation, the LLC. Um, but sometimes you don't want to do that. Like everything can be changed. That's why like getting a boilerplate um, template off of the internet is not really just like all templates, right? It's not really safe. Like you're, you're you're in this like false sense of safety because you think that like, okay, I have one, I'm doing what I need to do. But it is a contract. It's a living, breathing, negotiable contract, negotiable contract. Mm-hmm. So you can choose to have your business um, be triggered to dissolve upon death of a member or not. Same thing with buyouts. Like you could choose to buy each other out at fair market value or for other things or however you want to structure that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think the takeaway for this episode is like really thinking about what are your risks? Like what are your exposures and what are you waiting for to become an entity? Like what are the concerns and fears that you might have about becoming one um, and are they as scary as the idea of not having one? Because <laughs> I, I know that it's easier to do nothing and just kind of like let the inertia carry you. But um, to me, not having an entity in that way is the equivalent of being unbanked as a person and just kind of carrying your cash around and putting it under your mattress. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else to add, Deanna? Did we forget anything? There's a lot of ins and outs of LLCs, but I just wanted to like kind of go through the um, basics about like what is what are the values, what it, what's it worth. It's not just like um, this out of reach thing for many people. Um, it's not about how much business you've done or how long you've been doing something. Mm-hmm. It's about asset protection. Yeah, I think the only thing that we didn't touch on was um, like if you have employees or oh. contractors working for you yeah that's more of an employment law question but I definitely feel like for the purposes of like many of our um many of the clients who work like are you talking about like when people work at weddings and they want to send uh, a contractor to cover for them um I think just in general like when you have more people working for your business it's probably like always a better time to yeah oh just general yeah yeah if you have employees, definitely you want an LLC because like there's a lot of rules around um, employment law that you would be subject to regardless of the type of entity you are in. And you don't want to be personally liable for that. You want to make sure that like your business insurance is going to cover it mm-hmm. and that you, you know, that you're fairly paying your workers and everything like that. But just in case there are any mistakes or accidents or whatever, that there is a shield between your business and your personal assets yeah yeah I think yeah I think we touched on everything else I you know um this is in response to like understanding the misconceptions around LLCs from like um some community partners 
And I think it's important to understand that like in, in any industry, there's going to be bad actors for sure. There are a lot, a lot of bad actors and a lot of people who take advantage of the LLC code because the way that it's structured, like the, the whole purpose behind it is to create cover for a person, right? It's to shield you, the person mm-hmm. from, from attack and companies that use it and, um, wield it like a sword, like maybe a very unfair property company, um, have kind of like aroused the ire of a lot of, um, people who are seeing things as black and white, like David versus Goliath. And I think people are forgetting that David can also be Goliath, you know, and vice versa. Um, small business owners, are not at all in the same realm of like the Amazons of the world, the the Amazon corporations of the world. Um, But they're kind of lumped in to that same sphere um, when it comes to like business versus consumer. So many of my consumers are also small business owners. And so I see the intersection almost daily, almost daily at work. And it's really tragic because there's no representation for small business owners. No one, no one on the consumer side has enough sympathy or empathy for small business owners because they just see them as like businesses. And no one on the big business side gives an F about small businesses because they just will eat them up. They'll just buy your business and take your idea and, and whatever your product is, if it's actually that good, if it's not, who cares? Yeah. Right. So there's this deep um, underrepresentation in the political space to really advocate for small business owners. And I feel just so frustrated and angry. And um, I'm exhausted. I just feel so frustrated about it. And you shouldn't have to be low income or just a person of color in order to be heard and taken seriously as a small business owner. Everyone has a right to choose their own future and and their own path and to have privacy. Yeah. So um, that's my soapbox of the week. But anything else to add, Deanna? No, I think think you've got it all. Awesome. Cool. All right. We'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks. Do you have a business milestone that you want us to shout out on the pod? Let us know in the link in our bio. We want to celebrate with you. And before we go, there's a few things you should know. Founders Vika is for educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. Always consult an attorney licensed in your state if you need legal help. In some states like California, this podcast may be considered attorney advertising. 